Really True Fiction is a podcast exploring famous stories to discover the wisdoms, lessons, insights, and ideas therein. Be advised that there will be heavy spoilers for whatever story we are discussing in this episode, as well as potential spoilers for other stories. Check episode notes or social media posts for additional spoilers. Please note that this podcast contains so many bad words and so many crude observations. If this is not your jam, please don't bring the toast. Welcome to another episode of Really True Fiction. My name is Luke Mason. My name is David Parker. David, how long have you been a deep, inspired fan of Robert Wadlow? Robert Wadlow? Yes. Robert I, Wadlow. Uh, I don't... Oh, is he the tallest man on earth? Well, <laughs> what would be the right term? Heighting in at eight foot six. There we go. Yeah. He was I, the I, tallest he, man he, on earth. He has inspired me for many years. <laughs> yeah, I actually, I did a little, you know, RTF style research which just searched who is the tallest person in history. <laughs> and at least the tallest recorded person is this guy, Robert Wadlow, at eight foot six in 1940. I think he was measured. He's, I think he was American. But he, he had a really big heart, right? He had like a... He was very kind. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think he, he suffered from probably some sort of... Giantitis or something. Yeah, yeah. but it's crazy because there's a picture of him with like one of the shortest known people in the world at the time. It's just like, oh my gosh. There's a, a wide disparity there. Well, I mean, eight foot six doesn't seem high for like maybe a ceiling. Right. But, <laughs> or a, but for a person, it but does. For a person, it's pretty jarring to I, see him. I have a few friends that are in like the six, eight range. Oh, and okay. looking up to them that much is, is quite odd. <laughs> You're just like, oh, wow. Yeah. Although I have to give you kudos. You figured out my puzzle. I did. I did. <laughs> very proud of you. It took me a moment, but I, yeah, I but got there. You were clued in contextually to um, what we're about to talk about today, which is um, this is going to be our 52nd episode, which minus is the a addendums. year's worth of episodes. Oh, yes, that's right. I didn't even think about that. Yes, a year's worth of episodes. Uh, technically, we've released 54, but two of them are addendums about the coronavirus that we're currently living through. So I guess I don't count those, really. They're, they're outside the scope of yeah, the mandate. But they're, they're still there. But they're but still they're... there. But this being the 52nd, we're trying something new today. For the first time, we're not doing a movie, we're not doing a book, we're not doing a TV show, we're not doing any sort of like more conventional forms of fiction. We're actually doing our favorite bands. Yes, <laughs> which are, in a sense, fiction. Well, of course. I mean, if you think about the legacy or the spirit of the bard or the troubadour, often stories were told through song in the old-timey days, and actually, uh, it's as a humorous aside, I've, over the last year, been playing Dungeons & Dragons with some university friends, and they basically all said, Luke, you have to be the bard. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> it's, there's only yeah, one you, Well, I think that, that brings us to an interesting point, which is, we I think we should both uh, kind of talk about a little bit before we begin this, mm, yeah. is what has music meant to you in your life? <laughs> uh, not obvious. I mean, we could probably do m multiple podcasts on this, but I mean, uh, we could do a music podcast. <laughs> yeah, we could do a right. music podcast. But I think both of us have very intimate and meaningful relationships with music. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, perhaps 
very different relationship for yeah, music. Which is what's so great which about is this. Which is what's so great about this. So I'd like to hear just what is the mm. music meant to you if you could articulate it? Yeah. Okay. So the answer is everything. It's, I, I think I've quipped before here on the podcast, music is my first love <laughs> and most yes. lasting love. Yes. Uh, the one that's kind of been there the whole time other than my parents. And speaking of that, so my dad is a musician. He's played guitar ever since I can, was before I was born. And so I grew up in a house that had music on a lot. Now, granted, <laughs> in the early 90s, in my house, it was generally kind of like Christian worship music <laughs> on the cassette tapes, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Also, he liked U2. So U2 was the first kind of like big band I was ever exposed to. So I have a soft spot for, you know, the Joshua Tree and... Um, Unforgettable Fire, especially those two albums were in my house a lot. And I, I think those are probably the two best U2 albums. I think I've actually told this story before, but I, I would put music on and there, we had this chair in our living room. And you spin around and I would just in spin it. spin and spin and spin for like half an hour dancing around. And then as I got older, you know, I was a preteen in the late 90s. So there's just so much good music starting to come out in the late nineties and so much fun music. And so I got really swept up and actually I got to give a shout out to my friend, Ryan, who was my first ever friend. (laughs) (laughs) He lived next door to me when we were little and then he moved two blocks away and he was kind of my conduit to music. Cause I wasn't really allowed to listen to a lot of the music that I ended up loving as like 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 ages, but he would show me. And so like all the bands that I've grown to love, you know, like the Real Big Fish, the Goldfinger, the Blink-182, more obscure bands like No Use for a Name or Newfound Glory or Zebrahead, like these bands that are niche in the genre, but very popular in that genre. Hilariously enough, the band I'm going to be talking about today, Jimmy World, is not one of the ones that he showed me. I actually don't I can't place a first memory of Jimmy World. It would have been definitely probably seeing the music video for the middle. But as I became a teenager and had all these raw passions, I was very much drawn to the pop punk, emo punk genre because of its own passionate output. And so that has kind of, I mean, I don't know, like it's hard. I could only give like a very sweeping explanation because any given band, I could just like go, go very deep on the bands that have meant a lot to me over the time. And so that's what we're going to do today with the band that's gone the most deep for me in my entire life, which is Jimmy Eat World. But the combination of the passion of the guitar and the lyrics and the, and the vocals, I went to Warp Tour in 2006, which was like the heyday of Warp Tour. I got to see like Rise Against, AFI, uh, Motion City Soundtrack, Alexa on Fire, when those bands were like at their best. So it's just, I don't know. I I could gush about this for a long time, so I I probably shouldn't. I'll let you recount a bit of... And actually, I will say a memory with you and music. There's a home video of I'm probably about three or four, and I think you're like two, and we're dancing around my house in Nelson, and Philip's just a little baby, I think. We're singing, uh, I just want to be a sheep. So we definitely got like a lot of Jesus nursery songs. Yes, there's tons. We could probably sing those to each other. We could do a podcast. I don't want to be sad, you see. They're just sad, you see. So I'm actually really stoked to talk about music and our and our favorite groups today because of that. So yeah, what about you? What's your... It's interesting because I think uh, I've told people before that my love language is lyrics. Uh, Yeah, I have. I absolutely, I mean, music to me is one of the most deep 
and maybe it's one of the few things that's incredibly intimate to me too like everything else mm-hmm. I, 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 can, I talk about all the time whether it's politics or philosophy or or even literature but that but there's something very private and personal about I would say my love for music mm. and uh, it's something that I don't share a lot but I, I'm happy to share here and one of the things I've said about music and I've said this about fiction before is I feel like it goes right under the mind and straight to the heart and it, it can uh, convey and introduce emotions into your life in a way that almost nothing else can. And in fact, I would say that nothing else can. Mm-hmm. I guess my relationship with music has been very melancholy and um, sure. and thought-provoking and kind of like a not, a not a sadness necessarily. And obviously there are bands I like that are more upbeat and stuff, but my favorite bands, the bands that mean the most to me, are kind of the almost mournful... Uh, folk uh, like some of my my favorite bands are like Leonard Cohen or uh, I prefer the singer songwriter genre I think to the band genre and so the Leonard Cohen's the Bob Dylan's the tallest man on earth the Dave Bazan recently I've gone into uh, the Canadian artist Donovan Woods I listen to him a lot and I think for me the lyrics in a lot of these songs have been how I've explained myself to myself. Yeah, um, like there'll be lines that just hit me like a, like a freight train. And then I'll never forget that line. Right. And then I'll find myself singing it in the shower. But interestingly enough, I think that love for music similar to you comes from how I was raised uh, because music was, is a, is a central core component of um, not just Christian worship services and and, Christ- and the Christian service, uh, evangelical service, but it's also a core, it was a core part of like our day-to-day lives, listening to music, engaging it. I remember my mom used to throw on these Celtic songs when we would clean. So like, and they were really upbeat and <laughs> sure, you know, yeah, enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. Get, you in the mood. <laughs> yeah, get us in the mood to clean. And, and even in my romantic life, most of my closest uh, romantic relationships have been a lot of bonding over a similar love of music mm-hmm. and bands and lyrics and yeah it's it's probably one of the most intimate parts of my life i would say is music yeah and uh, it's, it's probably worth focusing here for a few minutes before we dive into our specific artists today because i'm just even thinking about as you're saying like okay so the most obvious connection between you know, kind of what we're doing at Really True Fiction, which is, you know, talking about stories, is the lyrics. Like, there's definitely a a kind of a ballad storytelling going on in the best songs. My favorite songs are telling some sort of deep, often tragic, painful story. Yeah. Sometimes with hope in it, too, right? Like, that's that would be the archetype of the kind of song story I like. But you're right. Like, there's there's so much... um, Like, if you think about it in comparison to, like, a movie, which is more straightforwardly a, a work of fiction, is that... Yeah, there's like the main plot or there's the narrative or the script even that's going on, which is kind of analogous to the lyrics. But there's the cinematography and there is the um, tone. There's just so much going on in a movie that's, I don't want to say manipulating, but it's like affecting your feeling of it, right? Like how you're feeling about the story isn't just the conversations the characters are having about the story, right? Obviously, no, right? No, I mean, it's funny. Music itself is often 
the best movies use mu- music the best. Yes, right? like yes, one hundred. Clearly, like to manipulate your emotions. Even like uh, horror movies use sound and music to up the tension or drop it out. Right, like even silence can be its own storytelling device. Silence is a note. Yes, right? yeah, it's a very good point. And just like how the marriage between the kind of music too and the the lyrics, like I think, like as you point out, part of the whole point of folk music is that you have kind of melancholy guitars with melancholy lyrics. Like, it, it just wouldn't have the same effect if you had no, big if you were blasting just, guitars. No, not at, all, the, not at I all. I mean, you'd have a different kind of music. I mean, and it's interesting, there are bands that I think do that. I mean, a band I love that I think we could easily do a podcast episode on is Third Eye Blind does have really melancholy lyrics with really upbeat uh, musicality. Yes. <laughs> right? So, yeah, what, what emotion is that? And exactly. It's, and yeah. it's interesting. Uh, like, what what does the artist want the listener to feel along with them? Yeah. Or like what's their relationship to their own story? Well, I don't know if, <laughs> you, if, know? if you agree with this, but I've always thought that the best artists are really just singing the song of their hearts, mm-hmm. right? Like, the, And that, in the way they want to sing exactly, it. Exactly. Their, their art is that they're, this is literally an emotion that mm-hmm. they're projecting into the, like it's, it's very different than a movie. It's still fictitious in the sense that it's describing something that may or may not exist, mm-hmm. especially in lyrics. Yeah. But the interesting thing is it's poetry a mm-hmm. lot of the time. And the reason that poetry is so interesting as opposed to uh, fiction or, or film scripts is that it leaves a lot more room for interpretation. Yeah. And in that space of interpretation, I think it becomes even more personal mm-hmm. than a story can yeah. to a large degree. Definitely. And especially the genre of music you're referring to, right? Like the uh, the kind of folkloric type is, if not meant to be told individually to one person, it's definitely meant to be kind of told in a slightly more relaxed, I don't know the right word, like a, a storytelling feel right like okay gather around the campfire let yeah. me tell you this story as yeah. opposed to like uh and, and i don't i like that kind of music but it, it obviously <laughs> given the bands i like i'm much more drawn to that loud guitar let's go type of yeah, thing right a, and it's interesting because i think the music that we're attracted to says a lot about our personalities in a sense and definitely like in and the things that drive us right well okay so in case you haven't read the title of this episode. <laughs> David's artist of choice to talk about today and the storytelling motifs and feelings that it gives in him is um, the Swedish singer, Tallest Man on Earth, who I looked up. I think his name is Christian Matson. Yeah. yeah. He's not old. He's like 38. Yeah, he's not that much older than I am. Right? And so I thought it was interesting that this happened to be, because I don't know how long his career has been, but probably not much longer than like at maximum 20 years, probably less would be my guess. And so this is not a singer who could have been like around so much in your adolescence as a artist. So I, I my first question, it's like a, a little element of surprise because I think you might buck a trend here where it's like, this is not someone who's like really around in your teenage years so much. So what is it about him specifically that made you it want to be him you talk about today? Well, he is like by far my favorite artist, I would say. Like it probably doesn't even come close. I'm not quite the same in the US like live music. I really enjoy, but I don't have the same draw to it, but he's the one artist that I've that I for the longest time longed to go see and then ended mm. up Have going you ever seen him? And go, okay. I, I did get to see him live. My sister Maria bought me 
uh, tickets for my 28th birthday. So we, oh, okay. we went down to Toronto and saw him. Oh, awesome. It was really cool. Yeah. A really, really cool experience. But I think it's because he's, I see him as the pinnacle of that genre. And also maybe it's, it's, it's definitely a little hipster, I guess, in the, <laughs> in the sense that it's not like he's super well known and it's almost like a special yeah, like thing. I had heard of him, but I didn't know any of his songs. Kind of. Yeah, thing. and I mean, most pe- maybe most people don't. He doesn't play on the radio, and you can just tell by listening to him how much he loves music. I I feel like he loves music as much as I do, and any some of the covers that he does, but also he's he's just such um he's so committed to his art. Like that, it is about art for him. Yeah, I'm sure he makes good money doing it, but it's that. And then Bob Dylan played a really big role. Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen played a really big role in my formative years. And before them, it was... Mm. And you can definitely see their influence and Bob, on Tall I mean, Smile People Earth. say he's the Bob, our Bob Dylan. I, I even think his voice a little bit sounds like yes. Bob Dylan's. Yeah, agreed. So... Um, a little higher pitch even, but similar, yeah. And I think it's that he's just so whimsical about his lyrics and so and and so committed to lyricism, but also, as he himself attests, not committed to meaning. Like it, it's okay. not about wow. what they mean, it's about what you make they make you feel. Oh, so he as the artist explicitly says, I don't have a deeper meaning in these lyrics other than what you interpret out of well, them? Well, sort of, yeah. I mean, I mean, I think he's like, I have my meaning for these oh, lyrics, okay. got it. but it's not about what they mean, mm. right? It's about what they make you feel. Right. I mean, and he loves Joni Mitchell, who I also love, and he covers some of her work. And I think some of his covers are better than the originals, which I think is a sign of a great artist. Yeah, so... Uh, and so he really is along, I would say, the vein of, and and he appreciates people like Bon Iver or Bon Iver, as he calls himself. <laughs> I say, this is a joke between a friend of mine. It's like, we're just going to call it Bon Iver because <laughs> Bon Iver just sounds not as good. Have you seen the uh, Solo movie yet? No. On Solo? Okay, no. so... You know, Star Wars aside, there's been some hilarious, like, separation of opinion on what Han Solo's actual name is. Is it Han Solo or Han Solo? Oh, right. right. Yes, (laughs) yes. Because it's sometimes said Han, and I think it's sometimes said Han as well in the original trilogy. And so, like, that was left a little unclear for the nerds. And so they deal. And they with hate this. that lack of clarity. Well, they deal with it in the solo movie because um, I think it's like one of the later scenes in the movie where Lando, young Lando and La- young Han are hanging out playing. Oh, now I can't remember. Uh, I can't remember the name of the game that they played. The gambling game. Anyway, they're playing, and Lando says, "See a Han," and uh, Han says, "It's Han," but that's all right. <laughs> So anyway, your yeah. little Bon Iver right, story right. there reminded me of that. So yeah. Neither here nor there, but, you know, sorry. So I think, yeah, I think the reason I chose him because I started listening to him in university, mm-hmm. uh, which was a really formative and important time in my life just on a social and emotional level, as mm-hmm. I think it is for most people. And I just never stopped. Right. Right. Um, right. Where, uh, and not that I've, I, there's other bands that I haven't stopped either, but this would be the one that's so over the last 11 years mm-hmm. or 12 years, this has been kind of, he, and then he keeps coming up with new albums and right. it's like, wow, like yeah. that is how I feel. Continually right rewarding. Now. Yes. You know. it, yeah. And so he'd be one, probably one of the only bands that I actively follow that he's putting out new material. Yeah, interesting. Like where I'm like, I guess if I'm a fan of any band, like an actual fan, it's 
for any musician. It's right. him. I had another question occur to me now that's like a little bit outside the scope of specifically tallest man on earth, more the genre of folk. You say you're attracted to melancholic music, right? As someone who knows you outside of this podcast, you're often quite busy, even in lockdown, a borderline hectic life, and sometimes foisted on you, sometimes chosen by right, you, right? right? I guess just stereotypically, I would assume, if I didn't know you at all, I would assume you needed pump-up music, right? Like the stadium rock, maybe kickstart my heart, Motley Crue type of, right, like, right. you know, Dwight Schrute, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, like getting yeah. pumped up. And yet you seem to fill your bucket or pump your tires that way with this kind of music that seems, at least on the surface, not congruent with your lifestyle. Exactly. Right. So right. What, where do you think that marriage comes in with those two Ooh. things? Inter- well, okay, so perhaps I'm looking for peace, mm. right? Okay. So yeah. I'm looking for a place. And I think one of the things about maybe the outward versus the inward life is that one requires a certain level of superficiality, even in conversation, keeping the relationship up through laughter. Not not that the laughter is fake, because it isn't, but it isn't as deep. Because, I mean, mm. the, the real depths, I'd say, of, of who I am are very much th- contemplating life. I mean, I think this podcast has brought a lot of that out. Contemplating life, thinking about hard things Mm. when i think of the melancholic i think of the a slight confusion towards how things are like time is passing almost the the camus Mm. it's a certain response to camus absurdity okay right right it's like there is suffering and there is pain and there but there's beauty and i think that's what i love i think this style of music at least in my mind captures the awe and appreciation of beauty in light of an absurd world yeah that's great because i was just thinking like throughout all of this is like okay well does melancholy mean the same as sad and it doesn't seem quite to land on the same platform right like sad songs i don't know like i'm thinking of like some gaslight anthem songs that are just seem to me sad yes um maybe melancholy i don't know like would you split that hair i would would i would definitely split that hair because i mean I like I love sad songs too. Don't get me wrong. Like, right. I, I can I can wallow in some negative emotion <laughs> for sure. But With the best of them, <laughs> right? But uh, I think one is inward and one is outward. Mm, okay. So a mel melancholy is an outward reflection on the world. Mm. Right. It's it's looking out and seeing things. I feel like one of the ways you can be melancholic is just be kind of overwhelmed by how beautiful something is. Oh, interesting. The best best kind of melancholy besides music is when you've read a really good book and you just finished it and it, you have to go for a walk or something or just sit there and be like wow mm. <laughs> right like right that hit me mm-hmm. so i would i would definitely make that distinction i think that often the bands that are the best at melancholy do go back and forth between sadness mm. and melancholy <laughs> but uh so the great insight here is that <laughs> Melancholy is less sad than sadness. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. I think because you can enjoy melancholy. Yes, right. Um, I don't. I think it's a harder to enjoy sadness. Mm. I don't. I don't think people want to be sad. I know people who want to be feel melancholy, even if they like garner meaning out of their sadness later. Yes, it's not like an experiential joy (laughs) like there are sad songs that are really mourning 
Right. Right? And mm-hmm. I think that mourning is an important part of the human existence. Mm. And I think that if you don't allow yourself to mourn, that can cause all kinds of psychological problems. Sure. But I don't long for for, for mourning. Okay. Right? I don't want to weep. Mm. But I do very often in my life want to feel <laughs> that awe and melancholy. So then broad strokes, what's the what's the deep, awesome melancholy you get out of tallest man on earth so i think uh it's kind of threefold i've thought about this a fair bit Mm. uh the first thing that i love about him is that he is so perceptive okay about the world around him okay and like that he dwells on things like little rivers and birds he loves birds talks about birds all the time uh, in his music and, and otherwise and just the life of birds and kind of the idea of being able to fly around and live this seeming I think he sees it as almost a fairy tale life, just flying around eating and like singing. And like, <laughs> He's like just an observer of He just observes and, and I think that's my favorite thing in authors and in musicians is taking life experience and pulling the meaning out of it and showing it to you. Mm, okay. Um so and then um, crafting imagery with words to describe what they're seeing. It's just, I think that's one of the greatest parts about being human. So mm. that's that's the first and most important thing, I would say. And then the second is authentic emotion. So a real honesty about the feelings that an event or, a, or, or an image or any of these things convey. And almost a pleading with the universe to to recognize that awareness and to appreciate it, to remind us of the little beautiful things that right, there yeah, are. Sure. Uh, and then I think the final thing is obvi- is that his music is so simple. Generally, there's a couple of his albums that he has a larger ensemble, but generally speaking, it's very much just him and a musical instrument. Mm-hmm. It's that marriage of music and lyrics that he so intricately weaves himself almost tenderly right he's he's he he sees it as almost a sacred act in the doing of it and i think Mm. i think it is a sacred act there's something we don't even understand about music Mm. that he's trying to find yeah i think he's always interesting it's like a, it's a pursuit. Yeah, it's. I think it's. You can tell that it's. It's someone who's not performing for the sake of performance. He's mm. all. He's also a very shy man. Um, weirdly enough, but it's, like in interviews and stuff. Yeah, or? and and just you know, and a little bit awkward. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but he loves his art, mm. and he works on it, and he thinks about it all the time. Like he, Kierkegaard said, purity of heart is to will one thing. Okay. And I think you see that in him is there's a a willing of one thing which is his art oh okay right? yeah like so when you mentioned earlier that he like does he ever go into what his explanation of the lyrics are or does he shy away from that i think he he, he purposely often says like look i i haven't got a um 
I haven't got a rational explanation for this feeling. Oh. What I'm trying to okay. express. And also he's Swedish, right? So, <laughs> so English. And yet so good at crafting English lyrics. Mm. So I think there's a bit of, of genius Did there. he start in Sweden? Like I, is Swedish making Swedish songs and then... No, he so he started with English. And he actually uh, started on, my, on MySpace. Oh. So he talks about that. How, <laughs> that's how he became big because he had like a thousand listeners and then someone shared... His music and suddenly he had thousands and thousands of and wow. that was how it all began on myspace yeah wow. weirdly enough the internet he's an internet musician yeah well like you uh or like i mentioned earlier i actually never knew any of his songs i'd heard of him i think he like he kind of i had some friends in university that i think also like this kind of music that would have been starting to listen to him in like 2009, 2010, yeah, maybe sounds... like around that time when that's probably sounds like when he was starting to get popular anyway. So I'd heard the name before. I definitely like, but I didn't know any of the songs. So you sent me about five or six to listen to. And a couple of things. I can definitely see what you like in it. Right. right? right like it's very right. clear to me why you like this. And it's not like I don't like folk music. Exactly. It's not like I basically, when people ask me what kind of music I like, I say, if it falls under the umbrella in some way of rock and roll, I probably like it. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. And to me, folk music at some point falls under the umbrella of rock music just because it's a guitar. Even like it could be as simple as the fact that it's often an acoustic guitar, which is related enough to rock music i think for me to get something out of it because i've it's like it's more even just the instrument like i love guitars <laughs> like right. i just have an overwhelming yeah. love of the guitar in all of its forms yeah it definitely puts you in the mood of the songs you showed me i didn't really connect to any of them except i really liked um i think it's called running styles of new york yes that yes, one it's like but it's also one. got a piano in it too right which I love. I also mm-hmm. love pianos. Again, I did not like it. I just was like, hmm, I wonder. I'm excited to hear what David has to say about these songs. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, like, pick any song you want by Tallest Man on Earth and tell me a couple things about it that contribute to your overall feeling in this regard of why you like this singer. Okay. So, probably my favorite one by him is uh, the song Like a Wheel or okay. Like the Wheel. Right. And there's a few lyrics lyrical lines in there that I I just feel are so emblematic of emotions that I have one one being uh the the main line which is like lord why am I not strong like the wheel that keeps travelers traveling on like the Mm. wheel that will take me home right that question to the universe right of why am I not everything that I could be why can't I become strong enough to deal with these things that like a wheel can can take a traveler home and yet i don't even seem to have the strength of a wheel and what what does that mean and then and then he changes it again and he's like uh why am i not strong like the rope that keeps hangers hanging on like, <laughs> oh, geez, and he's just yeah. he's just painting these Great various imagery, yeah. this, this amazing imagery but the line in that song that uh always comes back to me is i wish i was a sparrow in your kid's eye the joy that a child has from seeing a sparrow, a regular right, common yeah. bird, but the beauty and the wonder of that singular, rare, and yet common as can be moment, mm-hmm. the appreciation for the subtlety of beauty in regular life, I think is something that I just, 
I love when I can do, which, and again, like you said, my life is pretty hectic. So I think mm. it's, it's that love of that moment and, and the appreciation right. of it. And also, I mean, there's obviously a romantic element to it too, right? Where it's like, I wish I was the sparrow in your kid's eye, mm. right? <laughs> like, yeah. I, I wish I could bring you that kind of joy and awe and love and of life. So that one is big. And it's kind of special too. Like you're talking about imagery that's essentially universally recognizable, but also intended very privately. Yes. So there's like that, maybe that's the melancholy aspect of it too, or it's like something that is universally understandable, but intended for like an audience of one, maybe. I love that. That's a really, gr- I, I feel like melancholy is incredibly intimate. Yes, yeah. And I think maybe that's my, part of my attraction to it is melancholy is hard to share with a large group of people. Mm-hmm. It's not that you can't, a large group of people can't appreciate it, but I think when you go to a rock concert, you feel a, a community. <laughs> that's right? for sure and when you go to a folk concert it's like he's speaking to you individually and you notice that because there's just not the same right environment slightly different music for different temperaments yeah yeah so i love that that's a great melancholy is so intimate and there's another line in um like the wheel where he says um there's a cloud behind the cloud to which i'm yelling you can sneak around so easily <laughs> <laughs> okay and it's just that is such a quintessential tallest man on earth kind of imagery because you can feel the idea of looking up at a cloud and there's a cloud behind it and then kind of the yelling at that cloud like like mm-hmm. there's a freedom that clouds have that it just feels like we don't have as people and yet what does it mean what is he actually saying you can sneak around like there's <laughs> not a it's not something you can pin down right. concretely as an idea consequently that's one of my favorite things that art that um, authors do sometimes is ask a question that they don't answer right because sometimes the question yeah. <laughs> is what's so interesting right often <laughs> yeah and and then the the final line from that song there's it's a great song i it's only five minutes long. You can all listen to it. But is um, it's your brother in the shaft that I'm a swinging. And he's talking to a tree and about cutting it down. And oh. the, the brother, I mean, it's an axe shaft, is made of wood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and yet he's using. Interesting. And then um, let the kindness of forgetting set me free. Wow. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right? And it's like the things we do in life and the ironies of those things, right? It's like we're we're killing this tree with a tree. Mm-hmm. And then and then that line, let the kindness of forgetting set me free. Like how many right. people really, in a lot of ways, when people say time heals all wounds, what they're <laughs> saying is forgetting heals all wounds. Yeah. And it's just those kind of um Interesting little take too on it's, how it's, social media doesn't let us forget stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's a great. Tang- that's a tangent, but that's a great uh, point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think if if it's that song that we're talking about, um, what I love about him, what I love about poetry, what I think my favorite thing about books is those flashpoint insight quotes. Right. right. Where yeah. honestly, I probably, even though I've listened to that song probably hundreds, maybe maybe even a thousand times, I can't sing the whole song, <laughs> which is weird. But I can I can quote lines from it all day long uh, because the parts how, that are meaningful to you are the ones that stick out. Yeah, and they just stay there. And like when I say, you know, music is my love language, 
like those would be the lines that I would, let's say, send to someone if I was trying to express like a deep emotion about something. Right. I think that song particularly, I don't know why. It's also just such a, maybe a cry of my heart, right? Is to, that I want to be strong. Mm. Why am I not strong? And like, yeah. um, can I be stronger? And yet, and this is the power of music, he's crying out of how to be stronger. And yet it seems like from a completely different angle, he's having to be so strong to be that vulnerable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right? So like, that's kind of and the payoff it's just like, of it. It's one of the things about music is, is you feel if like often, depending on how I'm feeling, I will listen to a song because it will mirror my own emotions back to me. Mm, right. Yeah. And so often when I listen to him, it's when I'm feeling what I know he's going to, bring back right. to me and then i can amplify that feeling well that just seems so useful or beneficial too because it's um it's kind of like reflecting on the things that you feel less than or weak about but in a manner that shows that you are growing into them somehow i don't really know exactly how to phrase it because i mean anything with music is hard to know exactly how to phrase unless you're a great lyricist part of the job because we're allowed to interpret the lyrics any way we want if you are interpreting them as like oh yes i wish i could be stronger in the way that he's explaining in a, in a certain sense in that song but the very kind of like melancholic reflection or mood that you're put in to even think that way is like already almost at like a meta structure orienting you towards being able to do that yeah. Right? Like the music itself is giving you the tools to handle the things that you're talking about in the lyrics. Yeah. And it goes back to that awe and beauty. It's like, well, maybe the answer to be strong is, is to appreciate the moment, right? Mm. And uh, and to reflect on it. And then what I like is like he does he plays with the idea of being strong. Mm-hmm. Right, it's also the 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 rope strong that's right. hanging the that's hanging the guy, right? Yeah. yeah. So like maybe <laughs> that strength is da- dangerous, and he just plays with it, and he just mm. plays with ideas. And I guess if I if I go into another song to kind of pull this out, I'll bring out his cover of Dave Bazan's "I Lost My Shape." Okay. And his cover is incredible. This the original is incredible too, but mm. the lyricism of that song, which is really dave bazan's well it is dave bazan's lyrics but it's right. it's his emotional and, and musical conveyance of that like oh the imagery like used to feel like a smoker standing outside the show you know waiting for your turn to play like, essentially waiting for your turn to play like that image when you've been a smoker let's say you know how that feels he's described he's like in in simple and yet musical terms, he's throwing you into a moment where you've been there. Or mm, yeah. you know, used to feel like a drinker twenty days off the sauce, standing outside um, the liquor store <laughs> trying to call up your sponsor. Like they're just simple words, and yet they are the most clear articulation of a feeling. And this one, he's telling a story about the descent from a feeling of meaning and purposefulness and into a sense of decay and destruction and inability to identify with that past self and wondering what happened. And I think one of my favorite motifs in music is how cynicism can seep into your life, Mm, right? And steal 
beauty. Like I used to feel hard in your heart. Yeah. Used to feel like the prodigal returning, but now, now I hate what I've made and I want to watch it burn. Right. Mm. (laughs) Like, yeah, he's so good at, because that's the story that that's the tragedy that he fears. Right. 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 Uh, Another cover that he does is Joni Mitchell's both sides. Now it's like, I've looked at love from both sides now. And again, it's like, well, what does it mean? Right. Right. What is all this? about why why are we singing these songs about love and desire and beauty if we all end up these cynics right <laughs> and yeah, yeah. does he have an answer not always like that's again i think what i like most about him he's not providing answers he's asking questions and those questions are what you can almost live with him in those questions yeah because yeah there's like a it's good narrative in 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 this sense of it's like okay i grew up with this kind of like sense of sincerity or wonder the piling on of the drudgery of existence has kind of slowly squeezed that out of me in one form or another and so now i become the kind of cynical disencourager of that next generation of sincere wonder seeking people coming up not because i I don't believe it, but I, I see my own alienated dreams in that person that I've eschewed, kind of. And rather than face that, I'll just make fun of them for that kind of thing. And then the like the deeper point of reflecting on that about yourself. Yeah. Even. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, so there's a line in the in the Dave Ben Bazan song where he says, Used to feel like a forest fire burning. Mm. Now now I feel like a child throwing tantrums for their turn. And like that word picture, a forest fire is powerful and, and, and maybe destructive, but it's like right. something to be in awe of. And a child throwing a tantrum is something so like they were immediate kind of repulsed by and, and turned off by. It's like, it seems almost mm-hmm. unnatural, right? right. Because yeah, it's yeah. like, oh, you're just so out of control of your emotions, but you're pathetic, right? right? It's that transition of viewing yourself as this significant. Another line is, uh, this is one that's really significant to me, used to feel like a prophet. Mm. Everyone wanted to know how you could, you know, see it all and still keep your soul. Right. Right. And then and then it's like now I feel like a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> Not quite as grand. No, well, I mean, and I've had though that that moment without music, but where I was just like like where you you believe these grandiose things about yourself. Sure. Yeah. Uh, not everyone does, but I certainly did. And and then eventually you're like, am I just a salesman like am i just like a mm. a, a con artist <laughs> i mean one of the one of my friends often says you know what the root of con artist is confidence man mm, yeah you're, a, you're making people be confident in you now of course i think that's just a a doubt right mm. that that a person can have but that emotion that he's describing is i think a huge danger Maybe it's a sure. warning yeah, yeah, yeah. of what your life can become if you dwell in that cynicism too long. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that reflection because it's um, it's one of like life's, I think, arguably, maybe the greatest internal battle a person has to have as they grow with themselves is their own attitude towards 
the world in the sense, and specifically in the sense of where they came from as a young person full of joy and hope and excitement and sincerity. I mean, it's, it's a trope. I mean, it's so clear. It's like people who get bitter, right? People who get resentful and angry and their life doesn't turn out the way they are and boom, they wake up and they're 50 and they're just like, this is not the shit I wanted or the shit I expected. And yet, and because of that, it's just the reflexive attitude is to shit on the aspirations of the people who aren't like that yet, (laughs) right? Like it's just, that's the reflexive easy thing to do. And yet, (laughs) here, save a lot of money on any self-help shit. Like, look at yourself <laughs> yeah. right? like and and see like what i don't know like I, I, you and i've talked about this a little bit before not very much on podcasts i think but it's about like okay well what did i love as a kid that i thought were just kind of like things i did in the meantime as i went and did life right and then at the moment where you know i personally feel like that whole go and do life is the facade that melts as you become an adult and realize that that doesn't ever end so what do you, what are you shooting for exactly like going back to those things you did love as a kid what form do they take in your life now as an adult to continue that vitality of living and enjoyment and sincerity and happiness and defeating of that cynicism that is it was vibrant when you were 10 why can't it be vibrant when you're 30 and and, and but what form of it helps with that vibrancy and i think that that's a great thing that that song is talking about right yeah uh, yeah exactly and i think it does such a good job of telling that tragedy and painting it with emotion and imagery uh, beautiful imagery that it really allows you to reflect on that Mm -hmm. thought and be like okay is this what i want like is this how i'm gonna live is am i am i is am i fated to this or is it is that an emotion Mm -hmm. one of the great things about music in general is that songs in their very nature are ephemeral they come and they go in time because no song is infinity minutes long (laughs) so they're like there to capture a feeling and then they kind of drift away this is why it's a beautiful art is that you get like a rush of the, the the mood or the feeling of what you want but then it's gone and you remember it and you feel it but it's like not quite there now obviously we can always get it back we can just play the song again but there's like um i i, I love that it's like always there for you when you need it yeah right yeah it's just kind of like runs undercurrent i mean we, you get a song stuck in your head it's there you have to find your pop into your head yeah at, at a given moment mm-hmm. i know i'm going I, i'm talking a lot about his covers but i think <laughs> one of the reasons- do you think his covers are better than the originals yeah, often. Okay. I mean, I mean, that's because I love him so much. Sure. I, mean, I think I feel that way. Right. I don't like I. And with music, I just try never to make empirical statements because <laughs> right? for me, it's so personal. But sure. For example, he's good friends with uh, the lead singer of Bonnie Vare, mm. and so he covers Blood Bank. Actually, he covered it on the, like the tenth anniversary of the song coming out. Okay. And I've listened to Blood Bank like oh, who hasn't listened to Blood Bank? Like, it's always playing in coffee shops. Sure. But hearing him re-sing it and the and the the pieces he pulls out with his art, like there's a there's a line in that that I'd had never even felt like I'd heard from Blood Bank before. But but I'm in love with your honor. Mm, yeah, there's not really a lot to say. On, but the whole idea of seeing another person and like 
being in love with a part of them that isn't even it's not physical necessarily it's not even surface level it's like their honor right something right, that, yeah that is so intrinsic to who they are <laughs> that it's like at a, at a at a soul level and he does that so well the other one i'll um somewhere in the mountains and somewhere in new york which is a new one by him okay it's just this i mean the only line in the song that that is that I really think about a lot, but it's like, please don't take your love away. Right. It's like you said earlier about, um, like the wheel. He's really just being so authentic in that emotion of saying, you know what? Like, I really want your love Mm -hmm. and I'm not, I'm not afraid to ask you. I mean, but it's also that kind of sorrow because he, he seems to be, quite fixated on that particular sorrow <laughs> yeah. um, of, of love lost, love had, love lost. And I think when you reflect on that, it's, it's one of the most universal human emotions, right, right. is of, of loved and lost. And yet it's also so intimate mm. to an individual relationship. Uh, and so unique in that it's two unique people in that, that, you mm-hmm. know, that, that almost, yeah, it's just, there's a, a depth to it. Mm-hmm. And he, and he, ca- I think that is the single emotion that he captures in most effectively of any artist I've ever come across. Sure. Uh, across is, is just the, um the longing for love, but kind of the confusing inability of, mm. of us humans to do it perfectly right or even well yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah. <And> so, <laughs> or like even not bad yeah exactly and even bad and how <laughs> kind of heart-wrenching that is a lot sure of yeah time. yeah now do you feel then that there's any kind of like is there any element of uh lesson learned in the lyrics or is it more here's the tragedy well, I think the lesson that he's always trying to teach himself, which mm. is really what I think he's yeah. trying to do, is don't forget that everything is beautiful. Mm. That even when you're sad, you, yeah, like because that, that lo- the, the line goes somewhere in the mountains and somewhere in New York, right? Like, okay, yeah. he's describing a place that we know he finds beautiful, mm-hmm. like the upstate New York, and then he's talking about someone not taking their love away right Right, so he's always describing because he's in love with nature Mm. and he's in love with the soul and he and he's in love with music Mm -hmm. and so he's like well these things remain i think and i think in my darkest moments when i've listened to him because i wanted to oh it's funny because melancholy can also lift you out of despair and i think that it lifts you out of despair because you're f- reflecting on beauty. Hmm. Uh, so maybe, yeah. I don't know if he doesn't explicitly say that ever, mm-hmm. but I think that's why I love his music. And mm-hmm. I think that's why a lot of people do like a lot of people are like, Oh, why do you like this sad, depressing music? Well, maybe it's because that's actually not sad and depressing to them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like maybe yeah. reality can be, but that reflection on beauty and that, that soulful yearning, for as much beauty as possible, whether that be romantic love or, sure. or anything else, yeah, is part of why mm-hmm. they love life. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Since it's the one that I really noticed, what are your thoughts? I, because I, 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 
I don't know it well enough, but I like to hear your thoughts because it's one that like sometimes when you hear a song for the first time or the first couple times, you're just like, oh yeah, I like that song. Mm-hmm. So it's the running styles of New York with the piano. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, like what does that song? So, mean so here, it? so this is an interesting thing about the tallest man on earth too. Is mm. his songs are very like he has different uh, genres of songs. So he's got like, yeah. King of Spain. I don't know. Have you ever heard? King yeah, of Spain? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like his voice sounds very different. Yeah, <laughs> or like, like intentionally. Well, kind and, of and different. he's. It's. I think that's like kind of the confident troubadour. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like I oh, have your rah. love, and I can, <laughs> and I can, I can do anything. Sure. Like, uh, like I mean, I want to be the king of Spain, right? Like, it's just, uh, it's kind of a ludicrous, <laughs> yeah, yeah, song, yeah. but it's beautiful and happy. I think that's the flip side, right? That's the revelry, mm-hmm. the revel, and I think I see. Uh, yeah. Running styles of New York as a kind of revelry, mm. right? I mean, it's still again about love and mm-hmm. and, and melancholic and revelry. Melancholi- but it, but it's it's a step up from the really re- melancholic sure, yeah. ones. Uh, it's a, it's a lot happier. And actually, one of the ones, "Love Is All," mm. right? Is yeah. is similar? I'd say "Love and Love Is All" and "Running Styles of New York" are incredibly similar in their hopefulness. Yeah, right. Because I mean, he's essentially. I mean, in "Love and All Is All," he's essentially saying. That's mm, it. That's yeah. the whole point. And what I want, I also would like to reiterate is I don't think he's actually talking about romantic love when he's talking about romantic love, generally speaking. Oh, okay. I, he might not even realize that, but I think what he's, <laughs> what he's talking about is longing mm. and the human soul's capacity for longing. Right. Uh, like the depth of it to be able to yearn. Yeah. Mm. Like, and I think there there's something underappreciated. So, so, so often we, the yearning seems sad. Right, right, and we're like, oh, oh, it's this thing we don't have, Mm. but that is an experience in the now Mm. that can be cherished too. Like, yeah, like different yearning being different than like disgratitude, like or ungrateful. Yeah, exactly. You're you're longing for longing for something doesn't mean that you you hate not having it. Mm. It's just this like gut wrenching desire, right? But not a not a lust. Well, and I mean, anyone who's been in love. Let's yeah, just take that as yeah. an example. Like when you think about the best moments of the best times you've been in love with someone, um, how could you not like yearn for that? It's almost like <laughs> right? an, you know electric shock mm-hmm. of like in the in the chest, right? And there's other things, not just romantic love. What did can... you What did you see in in Running Styles in New York, or what stuck out to you? Do you remember? Uh, I honestly, I I haven't listened to it enough to like have memorized the lyrics. But the kind of the way that the piano mixes with his voice was so melodic. Mm-hmm. It's just such a melodic song. Yeah. And I oh. think that some of his songs, because he's a storyteller, there's a lot of good about it. I wouldn't always say they're melodic. Like, it's not the first thing that comes no, to mind. No, especially yeah. King of Spain is a good example. Yes, yeah, it's not, yeah. So, like, that contrast to, like, just how smooth Running Styles of New York is, I think, partly caught me off guard because of the other songs that I'd listened to of him. Honestly, it's a little bit more musical, but like the step downs of his voice, the way he's managing to like bridge notes in his singing is beautiful in that song. Yeah. You mentioned this the other day about Coldplay, uh, where <laughs> right. you said that they were just too perfect. Yeah. Like they didn't make mistakes. So there well, was I have no the, yeah. rawness to it. Right? Well, I have a little tongue in cheek or half tongue in cheek critique of Coldplay. Yeah. Where I find them to be too polished and too perfect to be a rock band I can take seriously. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you know, which is, again, a joke. I mean, like, obviously the musicality is at a level where I have to appreciate. But, like, if I think about, you know, uh, famous rock bands from England, 
and I compare them to a band like Oasis, who is a band I love, no one is going to say Oasis is too polished no. <laughs> or, or too clean, right? Like right. there's something in the distortion and the accent and the kind of topics that Oasis sings about, even though they're kind of not that deep exactly, that I just, I gravitate towards in a way that it's, it's hard because maybe to put a literary flair on it, Coldplay is too smooth for me to catch on to as they go by. Right. Like there's no spot for me to grab onto because it's just, it's beautiful. But then it's like, I don't know. So I don't know. Like what comparison were you making there with? Oh, I just thinking that like, I don't, there's no, there's hardly any polish. Mm. Right. Right. It's just the music and the artist and he's, and he's just, yeah. I think it's an impossible task. What any musician really is trying to do, which is to, to paint the world as clearly as they can with the emotions that they're feeling. Right. Yeah. But that, but the striving is, mm. I think, what I admire. It's the, mm-hmm. it's that almost middle finger to existence <laughs> ending and just this, well, you know, I'm mm-hmm. still going to sing. Well, and I feel too like at this stage in my life, I probably would enjoy seeing Talisman on Earth at a concert more than listening in my. I don't know. Like I want my, uh, I want my privacy public. Maybe right. <laughs> my, I want my <laughs> right. intimacy. Right. Yeah. Public. Like I just feel like I would get more out of being in a crowd of like thousands of people all quiet and listening to this guitar and singer. I don't know. Like I just think that that's kind of where my feelings are, which is so funny because of how much I enjoy really loud music privately. Yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> well, on that on that note, what what does Jimmy Eat World mean <laughs> to you? Luke? Oh god. I really don't even know where to start. And I and I don't even mean that as a cliche other than there's a lot for me. I feel like I have a I feel like a geyser pent up. So I'm going to try. Here we go. I'm just ready to boil over. (laughs) So I guess I'll frame it like this. I remember reading, oh, it must have been when Futures came out. So like 2004, I think, um, an article in some magazine about Jimmy World. And the line that struck me that has stayed with me is that they were referred to as the thinking man's Blink-182. (laughs) Oh, I like that. Yes. I like that. This is a bit nerdy, but uh, as you know, on balance, probably my favorite philosopher ever is Nietzsche. And so uh, I'm going to use him as a conduit into talking about my favorite band ever. And Nietzsche talked about this idea of the Apollonian and the Dionysian, right? Uh, Apollo and Dionysus. So Apollo, the god of the sun, but also kind of like the de facto god of reason (laughs) in the Greek sense. And Dionysus, the god of wine or the god of parties, and um, Nietzsche was writing in the you know mid to late 18th, uh, 19th century, and he was bemoaning how much he felt like his culture was uh, going into the Apollonian, uh, or like the scientific worldview was getting too strict, too analytic. He, he had a field day with the British philosophers of the time, feeling they were all, all the utilitarians were all calculus, no heart kind of thing. And my interpretation of that work is him encouraging or suggesting that taking all of that stuff, internalizing it, and making that balance between the Apollonian and the reason and the thoughtfulness with the Dionysian, which is the passions and the excitement. 
And that was his recommendation. He's like, basically, if these two things aren't in balance in your own life, you're never going to get into any truth worth having. And so I would take that and say, I think Jimmy World is the balance of the uh, of Apollo and Dionysus in music, right? More, more than any other. I mean, they they've they've got loud guitars, they've got sweeping riffs, they've got loud drums, and yet the content of their songs are so personal and so meaningful. And <laughs> I mean. And like, look, I love Blink-182. <laughs> right, okay, they right. they played a big role in my life and there was a chunk of time where I would have said they were my favorite band. But on reflection now, looking at the lyrics of the two and even just the vibes of the two bands, it's like, oh, okay. Even in their 20s, Jimmy World was singing about much deeper themes than Blink-182 ever was. And so another um, another element before I dive into any specifics about this, is that, maybe not surprisingly, I would make a comparison between Jimmy Eat World and Star Wars. In my, They managed to be a band I could love in my teenage years for what they were. And then now, in my 30s, I love them kind of almost for a different reason. Right. Right? Like, you know how I talked about in Star Wars? As a kid, you love Star Wars for... The, the lightsabers yeah, the and the X-wings, TIE fighters and the yeah. X-Wings, right? And as an adult, I love Star Wars for the motifs and the archetypes yes. and like the storytelling <laughs> greatness of it. And so like, <laughs> it's kind of funny even. Um, they have three big albums, right? They have Bleed American, Futures, and, and Chase This Light. And those are the three albums I could make like not dissimilar comparisons to the original trilogy. Like Bleed American is a new hope. It is it's it's the one that got them noticed right like it was their breakout album so there's just so many memorable moments from a new hope in the same way there's so many memorable most of the memorable songs of of jimmy world are from bleed american and then futures is like empire strikes back in that i think cover to cover it's the best album they made right (laughs) right it wasn't their most popular well it wasn't the one that got them on the map and i don't think i don't think it would have but because Bleed American came out, the musicality and the thoughtfulness of Futures, they just have more good songs and more deep songs. And then Chase This Light, I think of the three main ones, in the same way The Return of the Jedi, I think is the weakest of the three original trilogies, but it has my favorite song. <laughs> in the same way that Return of the Jedi right. has my favorite moments right. of Star Wars, okay, yeah, my all-time sense. favorite yeah. song. And then... Additionally, Bleed American came out when I was 14, Futures came out when I was 17, and Chase This Light came out when I was 20. So like, I was like the perfect age of the perfect demographic of person, teenage boy, for each of those releases, right? And so all three of those albums just came at the right time in my life for me to love them as they were coming out. Right. Right? Because Bleed American was much more... Okay, here are our pop punk emo rock songs. <laughs> uh, the middle and sweetness was on, um, I think it was NHL 2003, the video game. Right. So it's <laughs> like there's an era of person around my age and your age who will have learned a lot of songs from video games. Yes. <laughs> right? True. And so Jimmy Eat World was one of those bands, I think, that got through video games. And then 17, when Futures comes out, and a lot of those songs are more about like, they are more, it's it's a more melancholic album <laughs> for right. sure than is that was the one what angels lead you in is that no that was uh, that was hear you me which was bleed american right oh, okay yes. but hear you me that's futures right. had like pain and work and and 23 the ballad yes, right yes. and then when chase this light comes out and it's like 
uh, it's a decent follow-up to two huge albums but just a couple great songs that i'm like oh i'm reinvigorated in this so anyway all right that's why i love them i think there are a few okay there's an authenticity to jimmy world that i can't that i love right like my bias is towards authenticity so what I love something about them is it's the same four guys since 1995. Yeah. Like, if you look at the the Wikipedia page of almost any band, by the time you get to current and past members, you're looking at, like, 12 names. Yes. Right? And maybe only one person currently in the band is an original. original. But you look at theirs, it's, like, just five names. And one of them was a bass player from 93 to 95 and now he's not there since 95 so it's like they've built a friendship through all of that right they're also often called the grandfather of emo which i love because they're not emo in the sense that they don't have the fashion they don't wear makeup like it's not the fad it's just that jim adkins the singer is so passionate that he inspired a whole genre without even being part of that genre right I would right say, yeah. which is really cool right that's very cool when when people uh, like there's so many references to jimmy world as oh this emo band and i'm like do you know emo bands? <laughs> Have you seen My Chemical Romance? Yeah. Have you seen uh, Dashboard like, Confessional? Dashboard Confessional? Have you seen Mayday Prey? They don't look at all. <laughs> like, but it's because of the passion. So that's part of it too, is that the passion of the singing. I would also say, and this is important for the Star Wars point I made, is that they have aged better than any of their famous band from that era. So if you think of, I mean, the the halcyon days of the pop punk, so you look at, you know, Blink-182, but Green Day, Sum 41, Fall Out Boy, I don't know what some of, I don't know, if, like lesser known bands that I loved, like The Starting Line or Matchbook Romance, Stray Light Run, uh, and then, you know, going into the emo, like Taking Back Sunday, brand new, like all of all of those bands, any band you name of that era, I think Jimmy Eat World has aged better because they actually aren't pop punk anymore. Right. I would call them alt rock. Now, so like as they've gotten older, their music has also grown with them. So it's like there's an element now when I look at Blink-182, and it's because probably it's not the original lineup, but it's like you're just not making songs that I feel like someone in their 40s would make now. Right. Right. Like almost some of the songs that Blink-182 are making now seem even more juvenile than the songs they made when they were 25. True, true, (laughs) Which is funny. But I'm like, but I don't, I just don't know like where, you know how like you feel like you understand the growth in an artist yes. that you've been following for a while. So like that's dropped off for Blink-182 for Blink with me, but it's only increased with Jimmy World. And so that's why like, I mean, if you catch me in different eras in my life, I have a different favorite band, but pretty consistently for about the last seven years, I've said it's been Jimmy World and it's because of how they've grown how they are of an era and not of it at the same time. Like, because the middle is such a famous song, everyone associates them with that early 2000s pop emo punk movement of bands. And yet, of all of those bands, they're the only one that I think has beautiful songs. Like, this is something that pop punk never really did well. No. (laughs) Was beauty, right? They had fun. They had revelry. They had emotion. They had deep emotion, even screaming emotion a beauty but i wouldn't say like i don't listen to any blink 22s i'm like that's a beautiful song right like adam's song flirts with beauty in some of the piano parts but it's not a beautiful song but like jimmy world has many songs that i would classify as beautiful which is surprising from a pop 
emo punk band. And so like you listen to interviews with Jim Adkins. And it's so funny. Like one of the reasons, like he feels a little shy about the fact that the middle was such a popular song because it was one of the easiest ones to write. Right. So he right. feels a disconnect between how easy the middle is to play and how popular it got. But then he's also like, but that's bullshit because if people like it, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> right. right. It's like, right, yeah. it's it. what kind of extra pretentiousness am I feeling if I say there has to be a correlation between how complicated our songs are and how much people like them, right? Right. So he's constantly... Maybe it's actually the simplicity of it that people exactly. love. Exactly. Well, and he's... So he's constantly, like in interviews, doing, I feel like, what I would do, which would be to... All the accolades that come their way, he's like deflecting off, not in a false humility sense, but like in a in a sincere like, oh man, am I really making the kind of music that I want to make and I want people to hear? And like, that's actually super important to me. And I'm shy about the fact that if there's ever a moment where I put out a song and it's getting more traction than I feel it should based in the effort I put into it, which is fair, right? Like there is an element of that as an artist where you're like, uh, what is that imposter syndrome yeah right where you feel like you're getting too much kudos and then he's walking that line of like well how do I figure that out right like how do I figure out how to be grateful for the fact that people love our music even if I would prefer it to be a different song right <laughs> right like yeah. like that's just interesting well, that's the interesting thing about art right you don't get the exactly and, and and so I like that because I feel like I get an a behind the curtain look at the soul of Jimmy World when they make their songs in a way that I don't always get with other bands, right? Like if you watch interviews of other bands, like you feel kind of like, I just, I don't get that level of depth, I feel. So anyway, that's a big part of the reason. But ultimately, it's the songs themselves yes. <laughs> that, yes. that make me feel this way. And so... So you've told me many mm. times that um, should you die before uh, oh, me, right. that you want Big Casino yes. played at your funeral. Mm. Yeah. So Big Casino is the first song off of um, Chase This Light. And it was the one I referenced earlier in that it's my all-time favorite song. Like I've... I've settled on it. I, I don't know uh, what two to 100 would look like in my top 100, but, but I know what number one, one would yeah, be. Yeah, right. right. It's interesting because, again, it, it it's a song that really well represents my own journey with Jimmy World is that I remember when that song came out, I was like in my third year of university. And so when Chase This Light came out, I was listening to it all the time on my very first ever MP3, right, which wasn't yeah. even an iPod. <laughs> I can't even remember what it, it certainly was. certainly wasn't an iPhone. <laughs> no, definitely not. But I remember like, oh, I love this song. And I remember, it's just funny how music connects you to memories, right? Yes, like if you think yes. of the bands and then, then the memories. So I probably maximized my Jimmy World listening at one stage of my life in third year university, third to fourth year university, where I would go on runs just around campus and listen to Jimmy Eat World. Because Chase This Light had come out, those the three money albums, as I call them, were out. And so I was just like drowning in their music. So even now, it's fun to think that at that time, I wouldn't have called them my favorite band. But I had about a, like a four-month period where they were like the only band I listened to when I would go running, <laughs> right? So, so yes, it's you would like, hear them a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's funny how like in retrospect, you look at a particular thing as, oh my gosh, yes. It was staring at me in the face the whole time. And so, okay, big casino. So as you know, I, I often make this joke, big money, Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. Which is a little bit of a, a wink and a nod to this song. So this song most perfectly represents the 
Nietzschean idea. I brought out the Apollo thoughtfulness, the Dionysian passion, because this is a this is a through and through rock song. <laughs> Kids, once upon a time, bands had to like sequence the songs on their track album because you would listen to it sequentially right. and they wanted to manipulate your emotion in such a way right yes, yes. so this is the first song on an album of a band that has made it big how are they going to keep staying big well you just get this like you're just in you're in a rock song and you know it right and you're like oh yes this is a good first song to remind me of a band i want to listen to and the whole theme of that song is so beautiful because it's Something like being so appreciative of all the things that have lined up in history and in your family and in your culture to give you the things that you get. So it's like being so grateful for the things you inherit, but then not using them as an excuse to not go meet your potential, right? So it's like this combination of the idea of it's taking care of the cohort of people who would say, oh, you didn't earn anything. It just was given to you and you're not grateful. It's like, well, no, I am. <laughs> right. This is a part of it. I am very grateful. But it's also taking care of the next step, which is self-creation and self-improvement and reaching your own potential and encouraging that. And there's just like these lines in it where it's like um, the chorus goes, I'll accept with poise and grace when they draw my name from the lottery. And then they'll say all the salt in the world couldn't melt that ice. It's like, oh my gosh. So in one line, well, in one chorus line, you're like, I'm going to be so grateful for when I get lucky, which I have been to be born in this time and place and et cetera. But I'm going to live in such a way that I'm, I mean, the imagery of all the salt, not even just salt can't melt that, all the salt in the world can't melt that ice. Like you aren't going to melt me because I'm going to go continue in my strength right and maybe even the fame itself won't melt them Mm -hmm. right exactly like Like there's nothing you can throw at me that will make it so that i forget about where i came from and my growth and my and my fortune my good fortune so that you're not going to make me wither or melt away with your salt (laughs) as I still try and continue in my path of artistry and self-creation. And so it's like, it's like in one fell swoop, a nod to where you come from and your own ability. (laughs) Right. So it's it's almost like a, a a really high level of mm self-awareness. Exactly. And I love that we, cause there's the, um, one of the lines in the song is such a great dovetailing into something we talked about with, tallest man on earth because um there's a line in big casino where he says rock on young savior don't give up your hopes right it's like that youthful excitement not losing it right i mean they wrote this song in their early 30s it's like around the age where you and i are now yeah because this song's like 12 years old 13 years old now and so like i just i love oh okay like this song is written at a time of life that i'm now in and it's like oh man how much more does that resonate when I feel like living in a world where like, obviously you and I are so fortunate to be born when we were, where we were, where we were and (laughs) to who we were, to who we were. And yet I still feel like there's a kind of cultural malaise about like, well, because of that good fortune, there's nothing actually good you and I can do because any good you and I do is actually just because of that good fortune. Like, and it's almost like held against us a little bit. Right. But it's like, well, no, fuck that. 
I can still be grateful for that good fortune and still use it as a springboard to going and doing good in the world and creating and, and trying to be thoughtful. Right. And so like, there's kind of like this complicated message. The second verse is back when I was younger, I was someone you'd have liked. I have an old guitar for years. I'd let you buy. And I'll tell you something else that you ain't dying enough to know. There's still some living left when your prime comes and goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's golden. So like, yeah. Yeah. Like, again, I feel like these are the type of lyrics you might see more easily coming from a folk song. They're obviously shorter. Like, the, there's less lyrics per song in Jimmy World than in a folk song because that's just kind of the nature of the music. But it's just like you're kind of surrounded by these huge guitar riffs with these really deeply insightful motifs into human life i mean jimmy world has many songs that i feel does do this but big casino does it most explicitly right Right. like of all of their heavy rock songs so i'm thinking like sweetness or pain big casino is the most explicit about the things that i think are the most (laughs) jimmy eat worldian right (laughs) if i will right Right. it's like that's their it's what they it's the emotion that they're mm-hmm. conveying. And I don't even th- I don't think it's n- even necessarily that it's the song that is the most lyrically interesting or complicated or insightful. It's the most lyrically insightful that's still a, like a class A rock song. It's like the <laughs> most uh, distilled version of mm-hmm. their of what of the, you know, mm-hmm. of what they bring to the table. Well, yeah, cuz like I I do think they have better singer so- yeah, singer-songwriter songs. Like I don't know if you've ever the song Night Drive and my sundown. I almost cry listening to these. Like these songs are songs that can bring you to tears. I'm never tempted to cry during Big Casino. <laughs> right. I'm tempted to dance around and like just be in total revelry. Right. But it marries that Apollonian and Dionysian, which is why it's my favorite song. And then of course the music video is just so great because it's like it's them in a junkyard. Right. Making incredible art. So it's like that just was like it doesn't even matter now where you put me. I can make something beautiful in an ugly place. Right. Or 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 this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to make something beautiful yeah, in yeah, an yeah. ugly place. And yeah. take it or leave it, right? <laughs> and then mixed with all again, I, I can't overemphasize how much I love guitars. It's just their guitars. Right. right? And, and, and one of the, I guess, the things about this is it's a proper and maybe uh, moral response to the fame that they've already mm-hmm. achieved, which exactly. is, look, we're just going to keep making this yes. for you. Yes. Oh, I love that point, David, because uh, this is a point I couldn't overemphasize again with them, is that this is the textbook case of a band not resting on their laurels. <laughs> yes. <laughs> right? Yes. The only other band I can think of that maybe does this as well as them, if not better, is the Foo Fighters, in the sense that, oh, okay, I'm listening to the Foo Fighters. They are world famous, and they're doing their best to improve musically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like, this, that, this there is are people of, who love their art. This is a bit of an aside, but in 2007, when the Foo Fighters album Echo, Silence, Patience, Grace came out, I thought this was their best album. Musically, this is the best album the Foo Fighters have ever made, and they're already world famous 17 times over. Right. Like, this right. is when many bands couldn't just like... Let's go play the hits. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. We got we got three albums people love. No. And now, Jimmy World has consistently released three albums a year, every year since 2001, right? Right. So, you know, those big three 
010407 then 2010 they had invented 2013 they three, had damage or an album every three years yeah sorry that's albums. what i meant I, was gonna, I, was <laughs> yeah, like, I don't think <laughs> and, but they've consistently an album every three years so 2010 invented 2013 damage 2016 integrity blues and 2019 surviving so they've just been consistent right now i think invented and damage those two albums are good but they do suffer from the fact that Jimmy Eat World is so good that they're like slightly, I think, slight dips in quality musically and lyrically. Right. But, you know, whatever, because they're representative of an era of their lives, right? Yes. But Integrity Blues, that album is such a return to form. Holy cow, am I blown away at how good that album is. And then Surviving, interestingly, Surviving is an album that sounds a little bit like a first or a second album by a band like this because they've stripped away a lot of the auxiliary instruments. So there's like not really piano. There isn't strings. There isn't much harmonizing. Uh, a couple of albums, they have a female singer who harmonizes a lot of the time. But Surviving is just like alt-rock guitars, distortion and guitars, and that's it. I mean, there is a saxophone song. But it's like, they did that on purpose. Right. So whatever. They wanted <laughs> right? to try it again. Yeah, they wanted to try it again. Oh, and this is a funny story <laughs> because I did a little bit of reading about Jimmy World yesterday, just in case anything was interesting. So I don't know if you know this, but they got a little bit of a bump in popularity again in 2016 because Apple made a commercial of Taylor Swift listening to The Middle, oh. which was their hit song, right? <laughs> right? I always say Jimmy World is the best band everyone knows one song by. <laughs> true, true. And there's a great story of how Taylor Swift, I think in like... 2011 or 2013 i can't remember exactly basically announced at one of her shows that her favorite band of all time was jimmy world and how that they made songs that meant so much to her growing up and she's the same age as you right so it's like she grew up in that era as well so it's just like i was never i'm not the right demographic i think for taylor swift i think she's fine Mm. i think her earlier work is probably a little bit better than her later work but it's like when I found out that she also connected Jimmy World and then Jim Adkins comes on stage and plays the middle with her on stage. Right, right. And so like for a new generation of young people, that song got popular again. And I, I, I can't say enough about the middle because that song is pop punk icon. Like that song is top 10 most famous pop punk songs ever. You couldn't make a top 10 list of that genre of music without throwing that on in there. And yet even that whole song at age like 24, they wrote is is about like, I know this hurts. I know you're going through something that is so painful. And yet do your best to remember that you're in the middle of the ride. Everything will be all right. Yeah. Don't let this. And it's like, it just takes some time. Little girls are in the middle of the ride. Everything will be just fine. Just fine. Right? It's like not letting whatever it is that is in this moment hurting be defining of you because it's like a temporary thing and there's more good that's coming. And like that seems so cheesy maybe, but like as a band that's primarily at the time appealing to teenagers. (laughs) Yeah, makes sense. And and then, uh, and I mean, we talk about resentment. The line in that song in the third the third verse of the middle is so good with just the way that they harmonize and, and they change the lyrics a bit. And he says, don't you worry what their bitter hearts are going to say. Right. <laughs> right. Like, don't have any time. Don't let the resentment of, of others. The external, yeah. yeah. And I mean, like, that's mental health 101, sure. But, like, you remember being 14, 15, 16. It's not easy. Well, and you don't really understand, I think, yeah. that it's other people's bitterness and and resentment towards life that often causes so many of the problems to begin with Mm -hmm. and so like in an era of song when 
it's just kind of like it's either like punk music in its nature is like rebellious and kind of nihilistic sometimes even and then the pop punk element the blink 182 element brought in a level of revelry but also a little a little bit of level of frivolousness to it too right right right. so those are fun things for what they are but they're not exactly lasting things so i'm like it's just so beautiful to me that in the midst of all of that the middle is a song that's fundamentally about being thoughtful about how it's going to get better yeah right yeah but still in a song that you have no problem dancing to (laughs) yeah and and even the music video of that song and this is like a different podcast altogether, but just the the joy of the early two thousands for me it cannot be overstated <laughs> no, culturally. No, um, that whole music video so it's is kind of like when you were beginning to discover culture. Exactly, is them playing that song at a party that's an underwear party, right? right? The narrative of the music video is how these two people, a guy and a girl, feel like all this peer pressure to fit in. And then the end of the video is, no, I don't want to be in my underwear. I'm going to put my clothes back on. Right. And so the two of them put their clothes back on and hang out together, right? And they do have a funny story about how when they were filming that video, they had to kick a few guys out who couldn't um, <laughs> stay unerected <laughs> throughout the video. Right. So it's like, okay, so that's their hit. Taylor Swift loved them. And then they also did a cover of a Taylor Swift song, "Never, um, We're Never Getting Back Together. Right. So it's just like, oh, okay, I guess I kind of like Taylor Swift now. <laughs> Because of all of this. And then Futures, their 2004 album, the title track, Futures. So this album comes out when I'm 17. The whole music video for work is like talking to teenagers in high school in 2004, which is exactly when I was in high school, right? right? And Futures is a song that's, I, I think I would want to dwell on this line to to talk about why they're meaningful to me. Is In the breakdown, he sings, the past is taught by those who win, my darling, what matters is what hasn't been. Hmm. Right. Right. And, and the thing is, I've always believed in futures. So he's singing about how, again, it's it seems so simple to say, but it's just so meaningful to experience. Is this idea of like what matters is what hasn't been. Like it's the future that's the tapestry we get to weave. Right. Uh, like yeah. this is this well, is it's, it's this going is, back to back to the future. Maybe that's one of, we get to write our own. Exactly. Story. Exactly. Yes. It's obviously easy to dwell on all the things that have gone wrong in our lives. And I mean, and he's even acknowledging like this is, this is okay. This is a really important. Jimmy world doesn't just gloss over <laughs> pan glossy and gloss over and just be naively wide eyed and bushy tails. Like, look, I get it. The past is taught by those who win and it's awful and it sucks, but we still have the choice to care about what hasn't been. And that's what matters. Right now, he's singing it in a context of a potential romance. Right, but there's something deeper. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that romance is so often the uh, canvas upon yes. which all of these things are painted, and yet, really, I think it's just because romance is such a shared and yet intimate experience mm. that a lot of the things we're taught in these romantic songs aren't even really about. Love, mm-hmm. maybe more about love for yourself. Mm-hmm. Well, and I mean that whole album features. If you look at their big songs, it's all about. It's it's very tallest man on earth esque. <laughs> yes, it's definitely right, their yeah. most melancholic album. <laughs> right. But with rock songs, like there's lines in Polaris where the last line is, "When you go, I'll let you be, but you're killing everything in me." Oh, <laughs> right? yeah, like, like yeah. that. Now that's a pretty emo <laughs> line, right? <laughs> that's descriptive. Um, yeah. In Kill, it's like I know what I should do, but I just can't walk away. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, Twenty three, which okay, so again of the era, one of the 
beautiful things of if you got to live through the early 2000s with music was these punk bands putting out ballads right like yeah. every album yes. had a nine minute or a seven minute song and jimmy world's 23 was this on futures and the chorus is um you'll sit alone forever if you wait for the right time what are you hoping for uh, I'm here and I'm ready, holding on tight. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. And so it's like, again, this is exactly why I think I benefited greatly from the fact that I came of age perfectly for each of their albums. And then now their albums come out and their songs like um, on Integrity Blues, like You With Me, this is not a punk song, but it's a great alternative rock song. And so it's like they have mellowed out at the right times. Well, I've I've traveled with them in my own life, but like 10 years younger. Right. Kind of thing. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so they were writing songs for their mar- for their demographic at the right times, right? Cuz even now, like I'm if a song like Sweetness, which is so unique, came out now, I would be impressed by it. But it also like the song Sweetness especially is of like it just grasped something of that it's era season, of music. And it's a season right? of life too, right? Exactly. Like that song, to hear that song at age 15 meant something that it wouldn't now at age 33, yeah. right? And this is contingent on my age, but I just happened to be the right age the whole Jimmy Eat World journey. Right. Right? Yeah. To fall in love with them musically at age 14 when Bleed American came out, which interesting, like this is, I'm a nerd for these kind of stuff. So Bleed American came out in August, 2001. So a month before September 11th. Right. So when September 11th happened, they changed the name of Bleed American, which they thought might've been insensitive to Jimmy World. So the album was self-titled for a long time because they thought it was just in poor taste, maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Bleed American album. So this is a good, kind of fullness of thought is that they are sensitive to the moment but then after a number of years passed they changed it back right to bleed america like, because yeah. it's like because we're artists and we're going to stick by our ideas right. right right so they're both like that it's again it's that beautiful marriage between being conscious of the world you're in and trying to navigate it well with other people but also not compromising your own artistic endeavors and artistic beliefs even i guess right yeah I mean, again, this is a bit nerdy and musical, but there's a song on Bleed American called A Praise Chorus, which is like a, no- a, a wink and a nod to American music. So they've got that crimson and clover. Oh, they sing, yeah. yeah, but they crimson and clover. So they sing that. They sing about house in the middle of the street, kickstart my heart, and another one. So it's like in one bridge, they're referencing four different kind of American types of music. And this is, again, a completely different podcast, but there is an element of kind of this highbrow Americana that I get a little bit in Jimmy World. I get a lot more in Third Eye Blind, even, of like vistas on the beach and kind of like intricate ideas about different forms of American living right? that I that I am fascinated by. And Jimmy World plays with it a little bit. So anyway, I think I... I, I mean, obviously, I could... If you listen to On Chase This Light, Always Be is, you could just name these lines from these songs, like Always Be is, um, she's all lost in this, she'll always be a little far for me to reach, or I'm alone in this, I'm always right behind what's happening, 
(laughs) you know like capturing that kind of like feeling like you're a couple steps behind or too far ahead or too far ahead yeah Yeah. not quite where you need to be the song dizzy on that album is so beautiful again like just these beautiful songs that you can't if you ever listen like my sundown is just this this acoustic melody that that ends with like the music dropping out and this kind of like sound with him singing something gorgeous that song hear you me it was actually on um one tree hill yeah <laughs> back in yep. the day so that also like this is again from an era when you would get a lot of these bands on these kind of like cw type shows yeah. right <laughs> yep i guess the last song i would reference in regards to Jimmy world is the song called diamond which is off their newest album so it seems maybe appropriate is that the line that is the payoff for it is a diamond grows with time don't believe them if they try to tell you anything different hmm. and the whole motif of the song is i tried to cut corners i've tried right it doesn't work there's can't, only one can't do it there's only one way a diamond grows and that's with time yeah <laughs> and like or you know mixing my metaphors but watering it a bit every day right cultivating it working on it putting in effort so that one day when you show the diamond to the world it's beautiful and and the temptation is to skip the to skip the steps right to not do due diligence to take shortcuts to not edit <laughs> that's 100 percent the yeah the temptation to, to tr- like the silver bullet mm-hmm. right this is the thing yeah. that will get me what i want now and they're just explicitly saying, not only is this the only way it happens, but there's going to be people who come your way to try and tell you otherwise. And just don't believe them. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah, because they're trying to sell you exactly a lie, essentially. So, yeah, I mean, I'm a rambler, but do you have any like questions or thoughts? or? I think, um, your what do you think? Okay, so when we boil it down to mm. this Apollyan Dionysian mm, right. um, balance okay that you that you love that, yes that defines kind of your your soul mm-hmm. right and, the, and that you tr- that's your like that's your excellence that you're pursuing it's like the right kind of tension between yeah. two things and um what do you think when you listen to these guys and they seem to have maybe the best in your words the handle on it of any musician that you've that you've listened to what would be a, an example of like one phrase that you think captures that Oh, okay. From from uh, their, you know, from their lyrics that you're like, that's the distilled truth that I that I kind of feast on when I listen to them. <laughs> I guess I I think it's probably the one that I I already said in futures, but what matters is what hasn't been. Yeah. Because that's simultaneous. Well, in the context of the song, it's simultaneously an understanding of. Yeah, there's hardship and pain of where we've come from, but th- the future is what matters because it's what we can make it, and we should make it something, and yeah. we can, and so let's do it. And the one theme that's always in their music is hope and optimism. But as you know, like I, <laughs> I can be a little bit harsh on the difference between hope and naivete, right? Yes. But it's very clear from their body of work that they're reflected optimism right like they've thought about this a lot and they just and they still they, come and they to this conclusion this is what right I'm do, yeah. yeah this is how i'm gonna live this is how i'm gonna live i'm gonna i'm gonna continue to create i'm not gonna feel bad about the fact that i have garnered some acclaim and accolades but it's not the point <laughs> yeah and i'm gonna continue to work on and again like you just see interviews with jim adkins like this guy is so self 
not self-critical, but self-aware of where he might be cheating right. on, on his own yeah. endeavors, right? And this is a song we haven't talked about yet, but it's in line with a lot of the things that you and I have talked about recently in a new song called Love Never, where he's like, you got to love the work more than the reward. Yeah. Right? Right. Which, again, works with the song Diamond, and it's all of this. And and again, it, it's this is, I mean, these beautiful atavisms that come out. This is something my dad always talked to me about, where it's like, look, practice makes better, but there's no way that you're going to ever get anything that you feel worthwhile in life unless you put effort into it. Right. Mm -hmm. And it needs to, and it won't be an overnight thing and it won't take time. I mean, to the extent this podcast is a good example of it, like I, it was in my brain for four years before I even could do it. (laughs) Right. Maybe that's too long. But (laughs) But no, but yeah. But you know, it's like, uh, as opposed to like, I think, especially in our modern culture, the temptation is like, oh, let's start a YouTube channel now. Yeah. <laughs> let's start a podcast now. Before let's, anything, let's rele- like, the vision's even yeah, clarified. Yeah, let's yeah. get something out there. And, and maybe this is ironic, but I have a activator strength in my personality. So it's, uh, I think it was explained to me, I have the, the ready, fire, aim mentality which i think is a good explanation of why i like rock music so much it just gets right in i mean it's even in the video games i used to like right like give me halo way over final fantasy oh (laughs) yeah like throw me in that boat too like throw me in the action i don't need to i may be fire ready aim (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) i like that that's good so yeah i i i I could do a podcast itself on jimmy world i think like every episode talk about a song it knows how to play with my passions and my, it's, just, it's my heart and my brain all yeah. at one time. And keeping that kind of like beautiful symbiosis between the two. Like they feed off each other. There's just no way Jimmy Eat World is as meaningful to me today if they don't have thoughtful lyrics and deeper lyrics. But there's no way I fall in love with Jimmy Eat World in the first place without the loud guitars and them just loving the kind of Dionysian spirit of being a rock band yeah yeah so, <laughs> so the two feed perfect, each other yeah, yeah it's that perfect balance i love it you know like i could never fall in love with star wars as a six-year-old because of the archetypal motifs no <laughs> <laughs> at least like not specifically no no but i could never love it now without them yes yes and so i think that that's it's that aspect of it and then they just put on a kick-ass live show yeah you've they're been so good times, live so. they're so fun they're so humble but like again not falsely humble they're not, you know? wor- it's not worm pride. It's like, uh, we suck. It's like, no, we know how good we are, but we're not arrogant But that's not the it. point. Yeah, that's not the point. Exactly. <laughs> and and they're funny because they, uh, the, the very band name, this is a great little story. The Jimmy Eat World comes from the fact that the other guitar player, Tom, has two younger brothers named Jim and Ed. And when they were kids, Jim would beat up Ed a lot of the time because he's a little bit bigger. So one time Ed drew a picture of Jimmy just as payback putting the whole planet into his mouth and wrote jimmy eat world at the bottom and they're like well that's our band that's our band we're jimmy world and (laughs) never mind the fact that they can't really ever abbreviate it no no easily uh i just like that story is a perfect example of them they're just normal guys who have brothers have siblings grew up have a sense of humor about themselves but still make amazing music (laughs) <laughs> and that's their that's what they care about it's like the perfect example of taking your craft seriously but not yourself seriously and yeah so and and 
the title track off of surviving is um you're not alone in your pain that's yeah. right you're i'm don't feel alone like that's part of it don't feel alone I'm here. We're isn't, here. Isn't that really part of rock music mm-hmm. in general? Or music in general is is it's a reminder that we're not alone. Yeah. So it's like lyrics that match the feeling of being able to put your arms around someone else and just dance with them. <laughs> I love it. You I know? love it. So, yeah. That's enough for this episode, <laughs> although I still feel like I'm only scratching the surface. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that's the best, uh, best kind of topic, Yeah, I mean, right? I, I would love to hear, I'm sure, and you would too, like obviously music like i would i even feel more bonded to people who share the same music as me than i do who people share the same books yeah or same movies yeah which is maybe we should have done a music podcast <laughs> oh well <laughs> uh so if any of you out there like actually love, love these world. bands yeah. jimmy world or tall this is this is one where we would especially love to hear from you because yes. i could talk about this all day and all night and everything i see <laughs> It's just me. <laughs> so on also on that note, thank you for listening. You can reach us at reallytruefiction at gmail.com. We have a, a page on Facebook. You can subscribe on Spotify or on Apple iTunes podcast app. Tell friends about it. We would love to get in touch with any of you. It's like the whole point of this is to share, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I understand certainly more now, but like, yeah, you... The melancholic vitality, I think, is so David. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I think that the the that that tension, because, and I think you even us, you know, you've talked about how you you think that sometimes people who have humor are underestimated in their intelligence mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, he's just the Joker, the goofball facade. The go- yeah, the goofball facade, and I think uh, that is what really at the whole, at the heart of it isn't a goofball facade it's that balance between mm. Dionysus yeah. and Apollo yeah and I, and I like that mm-hmm. I like when the metaphor becomes the the literal it's like this is the dance I'm doing yeah this is the <laughs> right? way I want yeah. to live my life like I can literally dance to Jimmy World in the way that I figuratively dance based on what they mean to me yeah I love that <laughs> and I think even though music isn't necessarily fiction in the same way mm-hmm. I think it's really true. Mm-hmm. And it tells a story about our, it, it's, a, well, again, really true fiction. Like we're trying to find a resting insights into the human condition. I mean, what does that more than music? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Cool. Well, we did it. There we go. <laughs> One more new experiment done. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening. My name is Luke Mason. My name is David Parker. This is another episode of Really True Fiction. See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.